Welcome to IBA's first ever podcast, hopefully the first of many. What better topic to cover than the Paris Air Show 2019? And I'm joined today by Stu Hatcher. Lots of interest around the headlines, A321XLR, the IAG order of maxis, A330neo orders. But before we go into the detail, uh, let's look at the backdrop. And Stu, I mean, we're in an aviation sector at the moment, large number of airline failures. Um, You know, is aviation entering a bit of a depressed period at the moment? Well, I think we're definitely over the tipping point. I think uh, the mood in Paris on Monday was such that some people are bullish and feel that we're at the top of the cycle. But for many there, it's uh, tipped over the edge. Um, we've seen a, a large number of uh, failures. Um, the most we've seen year to date uh, in history uh, with some pretty big names uh, out there, which who also did have uh, orders for, for aircraft already, so a lot of those have been jumping out of the cancellations. Mm-hmm. Airbus and Boeing already started the show with negative orders uh, mm-hmm. on the books, so you know the show is really just to get those orders back into the positives. Um, but uh, still the same thing, traffic growth is slowing down uh, and too much liquidity in the market, so there's mm-hmm. still a lot of liquidity chasing. But uh, oh, You mentioned growth slowing down, but generally from what I see in my recent trips to whether it's Korea, Japan, China, um, there's still so much demand from investors. They like the mobile US dollar assets. Also in the US, anytime there's a note, unsecured notes being issued by the big lessors, they seem there's no trouble with them either raising equity or debt, is there? So there's still that underlying demand for investors to be in aviation. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's still a... It's still a very attractive market, and uh, you know the lower lease rates, uh, the lower interest rates, um, have certainly attracted more and more investors still into the space. It's a cyclical uh, market after all, um, and the one strange thing with this is that since the U.S. market is not so dominant as it once was in terms of traffic numbers, and we've seen the growth in, in Asia, we have almost multiple cycles working on top of one another. It's not simply we're all in the peak, we're all at the trough, um, and we're seeing different parts of the world. Um, respond to that uh, but traffic is naturally growth slowing down you know, we've seen six plus percent uh, year on year for the last number of years way above average um, Boeing and Airbus traditionally in their forecasts are more conservative around four four and a half percent and we're really at that level now so mm. it's just that the, the sentiment is moving down and, and when we're looking at say the difference between pricing and lease rentals there's still a massive divide uh, mm. we're still seeing pricing uh, rising because of the availability of liquidity, um, but the airlines still have the upper hand in terms of, of, of rentals. So when you're looking at, say, what the lessors are doing, um, you, you have to be diligent enough to know that can you can you ride those um, sort of mm. costs? Um, do, do you have access to, to cheap capital to be able to uh, weather that? Uh, mm. And there are a lot of new lessees um, that are lessors are able to take advantage of and get those on board. Uh, but how sustainable is, are their business models? Um, yeah, so when we um, we put our predictions out at the end of last week, and I know we haven't quite got to the end of the show yet, we're sort of Thursday, heading towards Thursday lunchtime, um, but we did foresee the launch of the 321XLR. Yep. Um, numbers of orders, is that kind of where you expected and the split between lessors and airlines, is that um, I th- as I, I would suppose that, yes, I mean, the clearly ALC was going to be... Um, pretty high up on that list um, and we noted that in the prediction as well 
Um, we were probably less uh, as bullish on the A220 um, as that's what's actually that's come through. We, we've naturally seen quite a lot of A321 XLRs uh, go through, but also a lot of conversion of orders. So we were thinking that that would be quite prominent that we would see A321 Neo um, uh, backlog customers then become XLR customers and naturally upgrade to the to the longer range aircraft. Um, and it, it does beg the question is what's the home for the LR without yeah. the XLR part, you know, but the difference is, is that the XLR is not coming really out until 2023. So yeah. this is not something which is happening um, within just the next one or two years. Um, but certainly it, it indicates that there's a lot of new business models that could be trying to take advantage of that range. You know, the ultra low cost, long haul model um, has seen some difficulties. We've seen um, some disappointing results from uh, the likes of Norwegian. We've seen WOW disappear, uh, Primera disappear. Um, and so there are fewer players in that space, but there are some of the more established members of airlines who are trying to open up new routes between, say, India and Europe without having to use a wide body. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really where it does help. But also coast to coast in the US, um, at any time of the year, that, that's also another important point. But really using the, a narrow body inter-regionally uh, mm. is where this is going to open up. But we have to really digest to see just how many of those are really new orders. There aren't so many. And the one thing we did get right was pretty much that the number of firm orders was very much down. Yeah. Um, we also expected, um, or rather we, we didn't expect Boeing to launch the LMA and that yep. that hasn't happened, but there's still been a lot of talk about it. And in particular, because the XLR, for, for me anyway, attacks that, you know, what's replacing the 757 question that seems to have never been answered, uh, in my view. Um, uh, but clearly, A321 XLR, yes, it's single aisle. The mid-market aeroplane, or NMA from Boeing, is you know, out there as being a twin aisle. Um, but do you, do you see any passenger issues there in terms of, well, it's got to be twin aisle these days in terms of... Uh, getting passenger, passengers on and off these aeroplanes? Um, well, I suppose that's only really the, going to be the case in um, high turnaround times. So, you know, really, if you're using this aircraft within a region high density, then that's where it's going to be key. If you're looking at this point to point of, say, 4,500 miles, 5,000 miles, then you're not going to have the same level of turn um, no. as you would do anyway. Um, and you would expect that, that to be slightly less of an issue. My issue more with the... You know, is what what Airbus response is going to be versus to, to Boeing. Clearly, the XLR and offering the three hundred and thirty Neo cheap is the quickest way to um, to pincer attack that yeah. NMA. Um, and the pricing of the NMA is going to be key. You know, certainly when we consider that there's not a lot of room between a, a, a three twenty one and a, a three thirty or a seven eight seven to what we've seen some of the smaller ones being offered at. Uh, there isn't a lot of room in that sort of. 70 to 90 region um, uh, million dollars in that sort of area and we certainly know that airlines would be looking at something well you know at the lower end of that of that mm. position but also uh, cannibalizing the existing 787 as well yeah. so when we look at the usage in places such as japan where they're using it within the country um, then that's kind of an obvious case where an nma would do very well mm. um, but it would supplant 787 operations the difference being the NMA is not really going to be expected to come into service until the middle of next decade, mm. by which point 
those 787s would already be uh, getting into their mid-teens already yeah. and therefore potentially ripe for replacement. Um, but, um, you know, so there's always a question as to what it's doing and, and, and do we believe whether or not there are that many new markets that this can open mm. up? And I think there is a case that there is a lot of new markets that can open up, but when you look at very specific cases, the Japanese market in particular, um, where we would see those aircraft being used regionally, um, we would see some cannibalization. Mm. Okay. Um, sorry, we've probably spent a lot of time talking about something that didn't happen at the Paris Air Show. Um, but the uh, just going back through some of the airline orders, so uh, I think the first sort of big order we saw was uh, Cebu Pacific uh, with a, a variety of, uh, of Airbuses being ordered, including the 321, but also um, 330s, yep. NEOs. Um, um, and then IAG, of course, with the, with the order for the Maxis. Um, I mean, that's the, that's a major one in terms of a switch from product type you know mm. the that is one of one of the biggest points of the of the show that we've seen um, IAG and, and all members of IAG being uh, essentially exclusively a uh, an Airbus narrowbody user BA used to use um, seven threes um, and they you know they've actually retired all the last of their seven three classics uh, and and this is a, a strong endorsement that they are um, almost reversing back to looking at uh, a Boeing narrowbody. Uh, BA themselves used to be, or you know, exclusively a uh, a Boeing widebody user, mm -hmm. and now we have seen a mix with three um, fifties in there too. So um, they are. It's a very changing dynamic in terms of that that we're seeing that particular airline group go towards the seven three, especially at this time. And we thought that there would be some order for a seven three during uh, during the show albeit we knew that it would be an LOI, but I was probably more expecting it to be a Ryanair uh, mm. as, as opposed to an IAG. Yeah. Um, on the regional side, um, I think there were some orders this morning, um, but also uh, have have the, the regional manufacturers fared well enough? Um, I mean, I've seen a few orders, Embraer, um, ATR, but uh, not... Not in the uh, not in the hundreds of aeroplanes. No, yeah, the the we were expecting the the turboprops really not to have too many, um, and again most of those are LOIs uh, as well. But then they've 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 launched a new well not launched they've pre pre launched a uh, a short term uh, takeoff and landing um, aircraft now from ATR. The six hundred S. Yeah, the forty two six hundred S, which hasn't actually physically launched yet. So these are commitments to purchase uh, rather than um, straight purchases. Embraer have done pretty much as what we thought they would do, only really sold uh, 175E1s uh, and 195E2s. Uh, the, the largest of that has, you know, it's clearly on the encroaching on the A220 space. Um, and the E1 is the only one that really is capable of flying within the scope. So um, that's still been a, a strong component. And then of course Mitsubishi coming out with their uh, space jet is uh, was expected as well although the naming terminology has is certainly uh, caused a few issues by uh, the way that they kind of gone in opposite directions uh, and we've seen some MOU announcement for an undisclosed customer for that aircraft but again that program hasn't launched yet so physically they haven't actually launched yet for that aircraft and yet that particular version of the aircraft won't really be coming out until 2020, 2022, 2023 yeah. Um, so yet a, yet another um, delay on top of already a, a program that's been um, uh, full of delays. 
But then the AT20 has done really quite well. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen orders from, um, from ALC. Uh, and then even this morning we've seen uh, NAC uh, drop in with, uh, for an MOU for 20 as well. So there has, uh, when you look at the, the regional space, the, which is heavily dominated by the US, um, it's getting very old. I mean, most of the average age of a lot of those aircraft are 15 years plus, and, and realistically, you don't operate those beyond 20. Mm. Um, and there are cycling limits on the airframe that you don't really want to get into. Um, but there's certainly well away from those 50-seat positions. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the 175E1 still doing the best in the 70-seat uh, category. Um, but the, the Mitsubishi product would offer a much um, uh, more efficient version, which is able to, to withstand scope clause restrictions. Um, but again, you're still looking four years away. Yeah, um, MRJ need to pull their finger They out, really so need to speak. get going yeah. and, and to get that yeah. going. Good. Um, in the engine space as well, um, obviously there's, there's quite a lot up for grabs because with the, the, the large backlog of uh, the A320 family Neos, um, not all of the uh, the aircraft orders had yet been matched with engine orders, but we've seen a bit of a uh, some decision making going on that's been announced at the show. Um, any clear winner there, whether it's the Pratt and Whitney GTF or, or the Leap? Anything well, the one, the leaping that, out at you? Yeah, the one that really jumps out at me is Indigo switched to the Leap um, mm. from the GTF. So, you know, they were one of the launch customers of the GTF, um, and. Their, their endorsement of the LEAP is kind of a stark um, signal that, that, that you know, not everything is rosy um, with the GTF. Um, certainly figures we've seen have, have indicated the GTF is, has a slight improvement on the LEAP in terms of fuel burn, um, but really what airlines really want, of course, when it comes down to just one or two percent variance, is reliability. Uh, and uh, certainly, we have seen challenges for both products over the over the engine services we would have expected. Um, but certainly, the leap uh, has been leaping out as being the sort of uh, the key one. Yeah, let me leap in there again. Um, I think some of the issues we've seen with the aircraft we've been managing have been uh, there's definitely some pressure because of the. Um, the physical location and environment of, of the the Indian subcontinent um, and the the operating uh, role of those engines, they do seem to suffer <clears throat> a lot more in in the Indian subcontinent compared to to the rest of the world. But um, yeah, I, I suppose it does come across as uh, as Indigo uh, really have, have have decided enough is enough and and some of those future deliveries will be powered by the leap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that when you're looking at, say, the what risks the operators face, of course, with so many OEM, uh, so much OEM control on, on those maintenance contracts, many of the airlines would feel, okay, at least we're covered from a cost perspective, but reliability, of course, you're, you're still yeah. facing reliability. Um, we, one area which I, I was personally surprised at was, was the freighter market. I, I think we've seen a number of... Uh, Wide body freighters being ordered there. Uh, I think Qatar have gone triple seven F, and the seven three eight Boeing uh, mm-hmm. uh, version. Uh, it seems to be, uh, I suppose, being taken up by some of the. I think GCAS have, have gone down the route there with yeah, some uh, ones, uh, yeah. the the freighter market. So, um, 
uh, I suppose, I don't know if it's an endorsement, they're not hundreds of aircraft being ordered, uh, but given that there are sort of aftermarket conversion programs, um, it looks like you know, the, the freight market is still being seen as uh, an area of growth for yeah. some of those lessons well, and airlines. Well, I mean, there are no, there are no um, direct delivery from the factory, obviously, of narrowbodies, so mm. they, they, it's, it's a question of feedstock pricing and, and what slots you can get. Uh, Boeing have now sort of secured over over a hundred um, slots now for the for the aircraft, and it's it's going to be uh, a popular one. I mean, typically when we're looking at how they're we're pricing those sort of uh, uh, residual value basis, we're looking at how their lease performance is going. Um, we would expect the sort of rentals for those aircraft, the eight hundreds anyway, to be close around 200,000. 200, yep. um, and then uh, on the three twenty one side, we're you know busily looking at how the market responds to uh, an aircraft with uh, four or five more pallets. Um, the triple seven F is stands out quite a lot, uh, and but there are still a massive number of aging wide body freighter aircraft that do need replacement, and this is still only a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. Although um, the market, I would say, for freight, it has been taken a slight slowdown, although the, there is some optimism of a return. Well, thanks very much, Stu. Um, and by the way, of course, if, if you do need any help with any market analysis or fleet selection, you know we're here at, at IBA. Um, we do have our Paris Air Show webinar on Tuesday the 25th between 4 and 5 p.m. where we'll have a, a more detailed review of the orders, LOIs and MOUs and uh, see how well our pre-show predictions match up with the post-show analysis. Thanks, everyone.